Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Rise of Mastery and I'm excited to have Marsha Booker, who's the founder and general partner at Damon Ventures. Before launching Day One, she was an angel investor and founder of a PR studio that has worked for companies like Who's, Hotel Tonight and Kid. Um, uh, Marsha had worked in the venture capital uh, industry for close to 13 years and she was VP of Communication at Phonix and Head of Communications at uh, Deep Tech Focused VC. Uh, Runa Capital. Big thanks to Cindy P from Capital Lakes for the reference. Welcome to the show, Masha. Thank you. Nice to be here. Awesome. So, you know, um, how did how do you get in, in, into this world of venture capital? What was your journey all about? Um, I met. Um, I had my first company. It was a social media agency that I started when I was nineteen, which in half a year was over sixty people and a few dozens of clients and. I met Serge Bell, who is the founder of three multi-billion companies, Acronius, Parallels, Rolson. And we met on Twitter and he asked for my help on PR side for his quantum technologies project and for his VC firm, Rona Capital. So we met on Twitter in 2010 and we started working at that same time. So it was the first um, touch with VC that I had. I had PR role, but on the same time, I was touching all parts of VC job and we work in like fairly small team, so I had a chance to learn VC industry when I was a pruner. Oh, interesting! And uh, you know, how, how did being an uh, operator <clears throat> and founder of a PR studio uh, help you? You know, uh, look at going through a bust impact uh, and understanding how do you invest and work with founders? Uh, well, I I had a chance to work with uh, pretty successful founders when I was at Runa. And for five years, I was working for Serge Bell, who founded three multi-billion dollar companies. I was working in the same room with him almost like every day for almost five years. So first five years of my career in tech, I was around some really, really successful entrepreneurs. And I guess it just helped me to start filtering out kind of like teams and people I work with. And when I started my PR studio, I was had a very, very big client flow and try to be really selective about what clients to take. So out of 30 companies that it took us clients, eight became unicorns at the time when we were working together. And that was 2015, 2016. So it was like a while ago and where it was much fewer unicorns than right now. So um, I think it's just been, um, just been lucky to start my work with someone like really successful and then just trying to never go down in terms of like level of leader, leaders I'm getting myself engaged with. Got it. Interesting. And, um, uh, and you know, you, you started uh, day one ventures, you know, um, uh, what, what, what made you, uh, you know, build your own PC, PC firm? Uh, well, PR studio was very successful. And on the one hand, I saw how PR can change a journey of early stage companies and can speed up all sorts of things and processes for this VC firm for the for the uh, early stage company. But at the same time, I realized that there is no really good uh, way for early stage company to find PR help and support because PR agencies are very expensive and PR agencies model is very much misaligned. If you grow your PR agency business, you at some point start focusing on climate with bigger budgets versus companies with better story. 
you have a very limited access to information about the companies that you're representing. So you basically, when you go to media, you try to say that it's a good company. You don't really have any data to back up your vision or to at least be confident by yourself that it's a great company. And it's also like simply, it's just like very expensive. Good PR agency would charge you from 20 to 30 months. Good PR agency would never hire you for less than uh, six months. So it's pretty expensive and not every early stage company can afford this retainer. And on the same time, pre-seed seed series A is the stage when you simply don't have enough news to justify hiring someone in-house. And again, it comes down to the cost because good in-house PR person salary would start best case in $150,000 per year, worst case 200 to 300. And um, everything else outside of the scope is just gambling and you're not going to get results. And I was understanding like why early stage companies can get so much value from having media publishing stories about them with the right messaging. And um, on the same time, they just simply like have zero options to get this um, PR help and a few amount of companies that get this help, they just like kind of get it by accident. So, and I saw that it's a niche and they see there is no single VC firm that invest in companies and spearheads their communications. So I combined my experience and knowledge in VC as a part of VC from Runa, Runa Capital as a successful angel investor. And uh, together with my experience as in PR, which right from like head of social media agency, head of PR firm, vice president of communications and a few thousand people, uh, data protection company, Acronis. So, and wanted to bring this experience for early stage companies in tech. So, super interesting. Uh, and, you know, I've worked in early stage startups and it's always difficult to, you know, send across your message. But uh, what advice would you give to founders if, you know, they, they don't have big budgets with them? Uh, would you advise <laughs> them to to do all the PR activity on their own or, or you know, if they can't afford a, a good PR agency in the initial well, If they can't afford good PR agency, I, first of all, don't think there is any PR agencies that's good for very much early stage companies because yeah. most of PR agencies are good ones. They actually... Um, so try to um, accumulate all the best talent from the market, but then they get into contracts with bigger companies like Amazon or Stripe. And I can't judge them for that, right? Because it just yeah. gives them like stability. They're more sustainable. They can hire a better team and they simply don't have like space or they can't justify it like 15K per month check that they would spend like working for early stage company. I think the only, like, as I mentioned, I think there's two options, like one option just to do PR by yourself. And most of founders don't have capacity for that as well as they don't have connections and simply experience doing it. So everything takes much longer and um, they would need to go through many iterations before they land the first story. And it's not necessarily the story going to be good. And the second problem is that um, the second option is just working with day one, land investment from day one and start working with us. Got interesting. And, uh, you know, how, how do you assess the uh, market size and market growth when you're looking at uh, investing into startups? Uh, well, there is PitchBook and uh, there are plenty of databases and you could just look up into them and assess market size. Um, it's not that difficult exercise. Got it. And, uh, and when, when you, what do you think is the single most important element when when you're looking to investing in the, in the market that you're trying to enter? Uh, in in which market? Um, so uh, 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 
you know in any any industry or any market that you're trying to enter mm-hmm. what what do you think is the single most important element that a investor should look at when they're looking to invest into uh, into uh, into a founder uh, or a startup i think uh, well i think like market size is really important and okay. i think number two is just like a founder and quality of the founding team hmm got it and, and how do how do you look at due diligence uh, getting the due diligence uh, you mentioned about you know looking at the quality of the founders is is the quality of the education really important or you know how how do you assess that the founding team um has the right uh, you know uh, founder market fit to for for you to invest into them well so the way i think about it uh, is that i think every really successful founder is anomaly Right. and i don't think it's 10% of world's population it's not even 1% of world's population are people who are starting 10 billion plus companies yeah. and um, we're just looking for anomalies and i think uh one of the definition of anomaly it's not like they're repeatable or they're the same it's always a different story and it would have been too easy if it was just like combination of different metrics um i think there are like couple things that we we'll look really closely into we look at the company culture and we listen to the founding teams and we try to understand what motivates people and we call day one after jeff bezos idea about day one company it's a company that lives every day like it's a day one and there is like a main criterion about day one company customer obsession so we listen to companies really carefully and try to hear if customers are in the center of the dialogue and we're not like provoking them to speak about customers but if we consistently hear about the customers and just entire conversation with founders shows that they care about customers they know about them they um thinking about like building better ways to listen and understand their customers and better serve them that's always a very good criteria to continue conversation with company and <clears throat> i think um there is another criteria which is like product um founder fit or market yeah. founder fit i think finding alignment between market and product that someone is building with someone's like personal story is also important criteria and i think the third thing is just like why now yeah. i think it's the same questions that you can apply for investments um and for pr you could just ask like why now why are we speaking about this company right now why is it important like today and like november 2022 but not like in a year or not there before and that's also i think understanding figuring out if this investment is timely is really important to have an interesting stat for you to denote that the founder of beautiful lives increased the social media presence by 10x they managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called social pilot social pilot is a cost effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts use lifestylemastery.com/socialpilot to get a 14 day free trial quite interesting and uh, and we have a lot, a lot of uh, listeners who are founders so you know uh, uh, before uh, a vc invest into, into a startup how should how can a founder know whether a vc can add value uh, you know what are the signs for them to understand that you know vc is not just giving them capital but they also add value uh, when it comes to you know growing or scaling scaling up the company i think it's fairly simple answer just ask as a founder as a backed um just ask your friends who you have in common and if ask if this vc has been helpful and how easy to work with this vc and how it feels to work together 
And um, I think number two, you can always, before closing investment, you can always like give a task or two to this VC and see how this VC will execute on task and have a glimpse about how it's going to look like working together with this VC. Got it. Interesting. And, um, uh, uh, and you know, this is like post-investment. How can, how, what can founders do to uh, extract the most value from, from the VCs? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, first of all, I think it's better to understand before fundraising what kind of help you need for the company and what kind of goals do you have for the next like 12 months. And um, if you like enough to have many options, it's really good to curate your cap table based on uh, what your company needs. And I think it's very few teams that actually has a clear understanding what's the focus for them for the next 12 months. And uh, lots of companies just like changing this goal, right? But I feel like as soon as you know what's your North Star and then you curate cap table towards it, it's really the best. I would also say it's really good to be proactively stay in touch. I think, first of all, like sending monthly investor update is super power. Not every single team does it, but it really helps VCs about being up to date, um, up to date about what they, uh, what, how they can help you. And we really like, we like, and we like, uh, our portfolio companies really like using this tool called Cabal. Uh, it's getcabal.com to stay in touch with all parts and sides of your cap table and of your advisory board. It really helps to scale it and it helps to track who's been the most helpful. I think uh, matching very directly what exactly you need. I need intro to XYZ companies, this kind of role. I need, um, I don't know, head of marketing with this kind of level of experience. Here is job description. Just like being very clear about your needs is really important. Um, I think it's kind of simple. And I think being um, utilizing your cup table as much as possible is just like a matter of execution. There's like no secret sauce except just like good execution on this. Got it. Interesting. And you mentioned about uh, you know, investor updates. Do you, do you interest your founders to do monthly updates or quarterly updates? What do you think is the sweet spot where you know, founders should be... Uh, should we consistently speaking to their investors? I think it depends on the company. If you have enough news for monthly updates, it's better to do monthly. If you don't have enough news for monthly updates, you should at least do quarterly updates. I think quarterly updates is absolutely minimum. I think <laughs> doing less than that is really not helping enough. I think the worst to receive some update right before companies start raising because it comes out like with lots of agenda and it immediately works like as a journal for your insiders. I think keeping consistent communications line, despite of like, if you're raising, if you're not, and keep asking VCs for very specific requests and giving shout outs to the ones that help you, helped you the most is also like a very, very good sign of like more discipline and more consistent teams. Totally mm, interesting. And, um, uh, I wanted to understand, you know, how do you how do you give uh, feedback to to founders, but also retain uh, the relationship of trust and safety at the same time? Uh, you know, considering the founders, especially at early stage, could be uh, could be uh, you know very attached to their idea, but you would want to give a feedback to ensure that you know they they look at it uh, at your point of view. Uh, what's been what's been the best way to you know send that, uh, give that sort of feedback to founders? Well, I've never tried to force my feedback. I just don't think it's working. Okay. I think rule number one is to help when you ask for help. 
even if I have a very strong opinion about something or suggestion, I first ask if someone is open to my suggestion. It's their company and we try, try to give as much room and space for the founder to lead their own company. If I'm proactively asked with my feedback, um, I just share what I think and I also try to listen to their reaction because investors are really involved in companies in a very sporadic way. Unless they're like on the board, then I think um, lots of that is just, I think lots of investors are rushing this feedback without really finding out to the detail what's happening with the company. And this feedback is necess- not necessarily comes off as something good. Um, I think like listening is really, really important criteria and not forcing feedback if you're not asked to. Is also something that makes your feedback more valuable in the time when they need it, not in the time when you desperately want to share it. Got it. Interesting. And uh, where do you think, you know, VCs and founders um, have the biggest misalignment? Don't think like I have like one thing to really mention. Um, and I can't also like say there's like lots of misalignment. Like I haven't like been facing many misalignment challenges maybe just because like how we operate and what kind of culture we carry. But I don't really think all the time about like founders, VCs, misalignment. Got interesting. And, uh, you know, I wanted to uh, understand from a, from a VC point of view, uh, what's the, what's the biggest advice to emerging managers <clears throat> on finding new LPs, especially, uh, angel investors and people who are running their own angels syndicate would want to, you know, build their own mm-hmm. uh, fund what's your advice to you know emerging managers on how do you raise funds uh fundraising for i think like one it should be a clear differentiator and just like clear explanation why um your company should exist and um why like what's different about your firm like you can see it very clearly in day one that with only funds that uh spearhead investing companies and spearheads their communications and I think having this differentiator is really important. Um, I think number two is just really like, I think in the beginning, you have to go to lots of lots of people. And um, if you want to get to the level when you have, you're capable to allocate a certain amount of money, we're right now managing over $100 million uh, between funds, right? And you have to be thinking through who you go to and maybe like you will get faster to your target number. If you go to LPs that can allocate more capital, like it's for me, it's like much easier to find 10 LPs who can like, um, who can allocate like 10 million each versus going to 1000 LPs who would give you hundred K check. There are like lots of great LPs and great people allocating 100 K checks. But when I'm thinking about raising capital, I'm always thinking about, where can I, where and how can I find like biggest checks? And it simply comes to amount of money the LPs manage or their net worth and focusing first on the big check and just like landing big checks and then taking only small ones that could be significant clear value. I think makes sense. I think early fund manager immediately go to everyone. They don't try to analyze how big check they can have with one particular LP. And then it just leads to lots of work and to very poor execution on every single lead. And I think the last advice is just like to not give up if you try to like land some, like 
two million check from someone and it's just not working. You can always, and they rejected you. You can always ask why. And sometimes there's a reason they minimum amount and you can adjust minimum amount or sometimes they just misunderstood something and you can correct the way they understood what you do. And that could also lead to yes. So I would say it's like, don't immediately agree with rejections and in polite way, like ask was reason to always have like that constant feedback loop and analyze and like the last one, same about founders, just keep communication line with LPs, existing LPs and potential LPs in the time when you're not fundraising. So it's just, you don't come out of nowhere so that they know and get to know you before you need to offer them the opportunity to invest with you. Mailman is an email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails, minimizing interruptions and making your days calmer and more productive, you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM, uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan, uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. Very interesting. And, uh, you know, do, do you think the current la- uh, landscape uh, where, you know, it looks like we, we could head into a recession in UK and US, would it, would it impact emerging managers' ability to raise? What, what advice would, would you give to them? Of course, it's uh, influencing ability of emerging fund managers to raise. And I'm sure not all emerging fund managers going to make it through the cycle. And I think it's part of the way how market functions. It keeps the strongest ones and it removes the weaker ones, right? And um, I think the best way is just uh, bag the best companies and be really good picker and help your companies as much as you can. That would indirectly lead to um, raising money. I think it's at the end of the day, is a matter of uh, your portfolio and your access. No, absolutely. And, uh, and you know, you've, you've been in the, in the VC industry for uh, close to 13 years and you've been running uh, Demon Ventures for close to five years. Well, what's been your biggest hit uh, and did it, you know, get to change your mindset when you, when you're looking at in that particular industry? We have a, we have a plenty of big hits. We have a few unicorns, including Worldcoin, including DuckDuckGo, including Remote.com. We had exit from Truebill that we seeded at $1.4 billion, um, billion a year ago. And it was great. Um, I think every single story is just very different. Right. I think question that I'm asking myself and I feel like reality playing a funny game with me in terms of like showing me different sides. I'm always asking myself, am I still like best PR person or am I better VC? And there are moments when I feel like um, my VC in me kind of already bats and calls and PR person or marketer in me. And usually when I think about this, I come up with some really like big campaign or initiative or something like marketing wise that's like to be proud of. And I think the secret is just like, I think most interesting thing appears when you combine two or three of your passions and when something like grow in combination of them, I think that's what makes it creative and that's what makes you unique. And I don't think you have to be always like focused on one thing and one career. I think combining your passions and careers or combining your work with your hobby or vice versa could be um, something that just drives your career forward. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I think uh, this is what Scott, Scott Adams from uh, from Dilbert Comics mentioned that if you combine you know, two or three passions, you know, you'll, you'll stand out. And uh, I can totally see that, you know, PR, PR and VCU really uh, get to add value to your founders. I, I quickly want to do the top three. What's your favorite business book? Uh, I don't have like one favorite business book, to be very honest. But it's not like single one that I could just highlight. I read from zero to one a while ago. It's still a book I remember, but I wouldn't call it like the only one favorite. Uh, no, no worries. And again, if you could go back in time when you started Table Ventures, what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? Um, I think like uh, creating new emerging VC fund makes you do so many things. And it's just like multidimensional work. It's also like building your company. And I think there's just like only one thing that's important for VC, just like finding best founders and not uh, depleting yourself into engaging with any teams and founders that you're not 100% believe in. I think best founders is something that makes you best investor. If you're really honest with, with you about it, if you really um, trust your intuition more than anyone's opinion and just stick to it, that's all needed to succeed in VC. Oh, interesting. And do you have any favorite online tools, for example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom? Uh, I love Superhuman. I've been using it for many years and I enjoy using it. Well, wonderful. Put on the show notes. We have Vivek Stodera, the co-founder of Superhuman, who came on the show. We'll put that on the show notes as well. Uh, Masha, what is the best way people can reach out to you and know more about Day Ventures? I think the best way um, to... Uh, start with just reading Day One Ventures website. It's dayoneventures.com and keeping yourself up to date by following our Twitter, Day One VC on Twitter. And once you build up some context, it's the best moment to reach out. I think everyone can just reach out, Marsh at dayoneventures.com. And if they want to pitch their company, it's the best to send pitch directly, pitch at dayoneventures.com because um, we make sure we track of all requests and inquiries and um, emails that comes to this inbox. Correct. We'll, we'll put that in the show notes. Also, thank you so much for taking on time speaking to us. I really enjoyed my conversation with you. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Great question. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.